0: Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Adam Hoskins and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.
1: Come on, let's listen close. and Let's prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. Momentum is about movement. It's taking a step into godly purpose investing ourselves into the kingdom, taking the momentary to eternity. It's something to be gained. It's a turning motion to shift, but always shifting forward. It's transforming. Our stories, unfolding into a new yet familiar adventure. It's like holding a memento while recognizing the hand of the artist in all the new things in unlikely places saying what God's done before will happen again, but it won't look like what we're used to. It's a surprising plan only God could create. It feels like revival. It feels like anticipation. And it looks like His invitation. And we accept. So let us hang on with holy expectation and know that God is calling us to greater things. We just have to say, yes.
0: Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, no matter who you are, where you're coming from, you're most welcome today. So uh, we're in Acts and we're going to enter into this moment that's unexpected. Let's just start there. Now. Uh, for you who belong to Sanctus Church, been with us for a while, you know that my favorite season is Christmas, and we are absolutely here. Now, I am here to say that I am three weeks behind in my usual Christmasness. Uh, many of you who have been here for a while know that I've got multiple Christmas trees in my house, and usually baby Jesus comes out on Halloween night, and three weeks late. Everything's late because of the move, and finally the Christmas trees are almost all up, almost. Now... You also know, if you've been attending Sanctus Church for a while, that my family, uh, for Father's Day, bought me something I did not want, which is a cat. Well, they brought two home. There was lots of sin in the house after that. One went away. We kept one. His name is Moses. I didn't want him. And of course, you all know the memes are true. Who now loves him the most? Of course, I love him the most. Yes, so Moses is now part of our life, and, and that's great. But I do know that cats are the absolute primordial enemy to Christmas trees. And this is why I did not want a cat, because I know they will hunt and destroy my Christmas trees. And so Moses and I had a serious uh, conversation uh, when the Christmas trees came out, and it involved a squirt gun actually telling him to remove himself from my Christmas trees. But he's been incredibly good, except when the second Christmas tree was going up, Um, I was upstairs, and my son said that Moses was in the tree. Now, there's no decorations yet, but I was like, oh, my goodness. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I took that tree out, uh, it was one of those pre-lit trees, and maybe you've had this exhausting moment. You buy a pre-lit tree, you put it up, and then after you put it up, Like tons of lights don't come on, even though it's pre-lit. And then you're like, how do I find the the lights? And is it one? And it's so complicated. And it leads probably to other sin uh, as you're trying to set it up. Anyway, so I heard that the cat was in the tree that was only one third lit. By the way, just to tell you, when I turned it on, only the top section of the tree was lit. The middle and the bottom section uh, was not lit. Anyway, I moved on. It was the next day. I did a bunch of stuff. I was driving home and I could just see from another road, our house, and I saw the tree was lit. I was like, oh, that's incredible. Joanna must have actually sort of found a way to deal with the tree. So I came in and it was lit on the top, lit in the middle, not lit on the bottom. So we had to deal with that. And I said, Joanna, how did she, how did you do this? And she laughed and said, I didn't do this. I said, what are you talking about? She said, the cat did it. I said, I'm sorry. What? She said, the cat crawled into your tree that you were freaking out about and played with the wires and the lights came on. Salvation sometimes comes from a very unexpected place. Sometimes it comes from an enemy. This is the story that we enter into. This is our last moment in Acts before we sort of plunge into Advent, but what a great transitional moment it is. If there's a biblical narrative that captures the theme of us becoming incredibly uncomfortable for God's sake, and also having an unexpected moment show up, it is a conversation that takes place between a man named Peter and a guy named Cornelius. Okay, let me do the recap again. Peter's background and story is so important. So you might know a story, you might not. Let me do a summary for all of us. So Peter is a fisherman from the northern shore of Galilee. So that's considered the backwater of his own country, like that place, you know, those people. And then, of course, his nation back then, the where the Jewish people lived, Israel was considered the backwater of the Roman Empire. He's not formally educated in any way, and a lot of people think that he had overtones towards the Zealot movement. The Zealot movement 2,000 years ago is a violent religious underground movement. Jews would call them freedom fighters, of course. Romans would call them religious terrorists, or at least those that have those leaning. Uh, Peter, if you know his story, became a follower of Jesus near the beginning. He's the loudest. He's the most committed. He's probably the strongest, the most powerful, and he also crashes and burns in the most public and drastic of ways. Interestingly, Peter's the one who first fully understands who Jesus was. Actually, it says that heaven itself revealed to Peter, out of even the twelve, who Jesus was. And Jesus is having a a conversation with his his followers at Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Oh, they think you're one of the prophets of the Old Testament. You're this, you're that. And then Jesus in Matthew 16 says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. You're the Christ and you're divine. Wow. Wow. So this man, with all his good and all his bad, is the one that God chooses to help the world. He's the one that fully first understands and confesses Jesus properly. He was there at all the things, all the miracles, water to wine, feeding of 5,000, feeding of 4,000, dealing with demons, dealing with legion, giving of the, the Sermon on the Mount. He was there, very interestingly, when a Roman centurion ran up to Jesus in Matthew 8. And remember the Romans are occupiers, the Romans are like people that have taken over another country and it's bad. And what's sort of wild is the centurion runs up to Jesus and says, I have a servant who's really sick, would you heal them? And there's this profound conversation between Jesus and the centurion, which wasn't even supposed to happen. And then at the end of it, Jesus says something um, almost cryptic, but not as cryptic as it sounds when he says in Matthew 8, 11. Uh, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west, and they'll take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what God is up to through me is going to invite even blood enemies to the table to become family. Peter witnessed that. Peter there, Peter was at the transfiguration. He saw more than any Jew in history up to that point. He saw literally physically Moses, Elijah, Jesus was transfigured, the physical Shekinah glory of God, the voice of God. He's also the one that betrays Jesus three times at his trials and cusses him out, says I don't even know him. After Jesus physically rises from the dead, he meets with Peter, he restores him, he makes him the primary leader of the church. And then, as we saw at the beginning of the series, Peter preaches the very first Christian message. In Acts 2, 3,000 Orthodox Jews believe that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior and Son of God, just like he had. I just want to stop as we have begun. What a life of change. I mean, really. Peter had given up. So much. He'd walked with Jesus for three plus years. He had sacrificed reputation, job, family. He would denied Jesus. He would betrayed Jesus. Jesus restored him. I mean, this guy's life is full of so much. And now, all these years later, Jesus comes close and says, I'm going to do a new thing. Now, God's new things, by the way, are actually never really new. It's when God comes close and he shows up and we who have not fully believed or followed and understood suddenly understand what he's always been up to. See, here's a pause moment. Not everyone listening to this is a Christian. I understand that. For many of us who have been Christians for a while, we almost are Peter in this moment. Yes, we've walked with Jesus and seen it all and served at church and given and been faithful and seen leaders come and go and good things and bad things in church. And we've fallen and betrayed Jesus and he's forgiven us. And, and suddenly, maybe, God, the God we've known, shows up and invites us into a new thing. It might cost you a little. It might cost you so much. The door in front of you is marked uncomfortable and unexpected And this is not rebuke, by the way. This is invitation. Maybe God is inviting you into a new thing, a new season, a new move. See, like Peter is about to show us, maybe we haven't seen it all yet. And maybe the next chapter is more impactful than the first. Well, we're stuck with a Roman again, actually a centurion. And if you've got a Bible, we're in Acts 10 today, and I would love you to go there. Acts 10 reads like this, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now Cornelius is an officer in the Roman military, an occupier of another nation, and he is about to be told by an angel to go find Peter. Now this is gonna get very uncomfortable very quickly. You've got pride and prejudice, and faith, and history, and anger, and murder, and invasion, and ethnic superiority, by the way, on both sides, occupation, unforgiveness, and possible terrorism, just to mention a few of the barriers between these two men. These guys are not going to get in the same room and be okay. It's impossible, right? Cornelius lives in Caesarea, and you're like, who cares? Oh, it matters. (laughs) This is a beautiful seaport on the Mediterranean coast. It was rebuilt by Herod the Great and was named after, notice, Caesar Augustus. It's the centerpiece and the center point of Roman power, and it showed, it was like a showpiece for Roman culture right in the middle of Jewish territory. It had a temple dedicated to Caesar on Jewish soil. It had an amphitheater. Jews hated Caesarea. Actually, most Orthodox Jews, even not so Orthodox Jews, would say that actually we don't consider Caesarea part of Israel or Judea anymore. Not our thing. The population was filled mostly with non-Jews. So no good Jew would go to the place where the enemy was, where demons and humans are worshipped, not God. The place where, by the way, thousands of Jews had been ordered to be executed specifically by crucifixion. Oh, and by this is the place where all the taxes that were taken by the Roman government are taken to be counted. So to go there is radical, would be incredibly uncomfortable. And yet this is what God's about to do. More on that in a moment. Well, <clears throat> we get more about this Roman centurion, and it's a little interesting. Verse two, he and all his family were devout and they were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, he is what we call a God-fearer, a non-Jewish person who worshiped the Jewish God. But there are two versions of God-fearers and it matters. The first, view, first group viewed the Jewish faith as the true faith, And they tried going to synagogue when they could, if there was a language they could understand. They tried reading the Old Testament, probably in Greek. They tried to obey God, but they never were baptized by water into Judaism. And the men would not get circumcised. 2,000 years ago, um, if you got circumcised to join the Jewish faith, it was like scandalous and shocking. Now, there's another group, and they are all in. They fully become Jewish, though they're not ethnically Jewish, and they do it spiritually and physically. This man, Cornelius, is part of the first group, not the second group, and the average Jewish person would say, wow, that's pretty shocking that he's trying to be like us, but he's still unclean and probably separated from God. But good try. Now, then things begin to unravel down here, but it's sovereign up there. One day, at three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God himself. So, He's praying at 3 o'clock. Why does that matter? Well, it really matters because 3 o'clock is a moment in Jerusalem, for example, when all the Jews would stop and pray. It is a central moment of prayer in the Jewish calendar every day. It's also in the temple one of the times when sacrifices are being offered to God. So in the time where all the Jewish people are praying to the true living God and sacrifices are being given, this Roman occupier, this oppressor of God's people, is also praying. And then the angel shows up and says, your offerings to the poor have come up to God like a memorial offering. Well, what's a memorial offering? A memorial offering is a Jewish offering that's connected to the harvest. So Jewish people would give some of their harvest, specifically grain, back to God to remind themselves that everything they own is God's anyway. So God views this man's prayer and acts as equal to this harvest moment and sacrifice. And here's why God chooses chooses this, of course, because this moment is gonna turn into the largest spiritual harvest in history, the return of non-Jews back to God. Now the angel says in verse five, now, send men to Joppa, or Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Okay, pause. Humongous, you're like, what's humongous? Peter's in Joppa or Joppa and you're like who cares? Well, I've been there. It's nice I've actually been to Simon the Tanner's house. It's still there which is incredible, but here's the connection most of us miss hundreds of years before there was a there was a prophet who was Jewish named Jonah and God met with Jonah and said to Jonah, I want you to go to your blood enemies and tell them good news Do you know the story? It says in Jonah 1-2, this is God speaking to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, <laughs> what Jonah understands is, by the way, if you preach judgment, then if people repent, there's mercy. And you're like, well, what does this have to do with Cornelius and Peter? Just give me a second. Jonah, when he hears the command to go to the Ninevites, or to the Assyrians, he is indignant. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. For 270 years, in two different periods, it dominated the Middle East and caused havoc. The empire, at that moment, was owning Israel. It was powerful, well-developed, and in the time of Jonah, ready everyone, they had to pay taxes to Assyria. In other words, they're like the mob. You need to pay us for protection, and if you don't pay, we're gonna kill you. Now. There's a summary I've used when I preached to you, Jonah, that will tell you how wildly evil the Assyrian Empire was. Here's one top scholar who talks about it. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories gloating like this. Whole plains littered with corpses. Cities burned completely to the ground. One of the greatest emperors is well known for depicting torture, dismemberment, decapitation of enemies, in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. Assyrian history is gory and blood-curdling. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off your legs and one of your arms, but leave your other arm and hand so they could shake your hand while you lay dying to mock you. They forced friends and family members to parade with decapitated heads of their loved ones on elevated poles. They pulled prisoners' tongues out. They stretched bodies with ropes so they could fillet human beings alive and display their skin on their walls. They burned teenagers alive. And if you survived all of that, you were involved in violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians, he writes, we would call a modern uh, terrorist state. So Jonah hears that God wants him to go to his blood enemies who do all this violently crazy stuff and oppress the Jewish people and ask for taxes. And he knows if he goes and preaches, God might give them a second chance. Ready? Here's the connection. Jonah 1.3. Jonah ran away from God, headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa to flee from God. So now hundreds of years later, the story is repeating again. Go to your blood enemies who tax you and kill you and steal and destroy from you and show mercy by preaching the truth. So is Peter going to run like Jonah or is he going to run towards Caesarea and his enemy? Well, God prepares Peter this way for this very unusual, unexpected moment. It reads like this in Acts 10:9. At noon the following day, as Cornelius' servants are on their journey and approaching Joppa, Peter went to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoken to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. As Peter is waiting for lunch and doing his devotions on the Mediterranean Sea, how beautiful and awesome, the thing happens. God fills the atmosphere, Peter is thrown into this trance and a God-given ordained vision is now downloaded. Yet this is not what Peter would expect from the God he worships, the God he knew, the God he personally walked with much more than us. See the vision made him very uncomfortable and threatened so much of what he held ethnically and spiritually. This sheet is full of animals, some fit to eat according to Jewish law, many others unfit according to Jewish law. And God says to Peter, I want to kill all of them and eat all of them. Actually, the word kill is sacrifice. This is a spiritual act of worship. Peter says to God, not on your life. He said, Lord, I will not obey your lordship. No. Is this not the story, by the way, (laughs) of so many of us, especially long-term Christians? God asks us to do something and we hold up everything that brings us comfort or we bring up our upbringing or our gender or our ethnic background or our age or our theology or our sin or our past or current pain or our preferences or our view of rights or the injustice we've experienced and why would I go over there? They're the, they're the victim I... And God says to the deeply changed Peter, who's already sacrificed so much, Uh, I'm going to come close again, and I know we've been here before, and I'm I'm actually going to make you do a very uncomfortable and unexpected thing, but out of this place is going to become one of the greatest, is going to produce one of the greatest spiritual harvests in history. Peter, kill and eat. See, the struggle is so strong for Peter, so real. Unclean animals could never be used for food. And even clean animals could not be used or eaten unless they'd been slaughtered according to a certain way of slaughtering. Three times God says, you need to eat. Three times he says, no, I will not do this. By the way, have you noticed the Peter, uh, the, the pattern with Peter? Uh, he, it's so, so, so interesting. He rejects Jesus three times. Uh, P- Peter's restored by Jesus three times. Uh, Peter argues with Jesus three times. I'm not going to eat unkosher food. Not in your life. I'm Jewish. See, these laws were not just about worship. They're a matter of survival, ethnic identity. Now, Jesus already back in Mark 7 has has actually declared all food clean. You can go read that. But this is actually not even about food. This is about something way more important. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. So track it like this. Day one, angel shows up in Caesarea. Uh, Day two, really wild, uncomfortable vision. Then messengers show up who are not Jewish, asking for him to come to a house of centurion. Then if you keep reading, day three, Peter acts on God's command, takes six others with him to serve as witnesses. I guarantee they're curious, excited, suspicious, fearful, all of it. So it says in verse 24, the following day, Peter and his group arrive in Caesarea. Man, he went there. He went to the place that you shouldn't go. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together. He had called together his relatives and his close friends. Now, you got to catch this again. This man with military authority and with money and respect and power, in the place of Roman power, tells, tells his family and his slaves and his friends about the profound experience he had, and now they're all gathered to see what's going to happen next. And suddenly the door opens and there is Peter, the one that the angel told him to find. And then verse 25, you can read it so quickly and miss the power of it. As Peter entered the house. Okay, stop, 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 stop. As an Orthodox Jew, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. Jews believed and had been taught that purity before God was connected to association. If you ate with someone who's not Jewish, or you took time or lived with people or took hospitality, either from non-Jews or Jewish people, by the way, who were not following God's rules and God's standards, you were A, saying that their behavior was okay, you were legitimizing it, and you yourself become a sinner by association. So think about a cold. If you do this, you spiritually get infected. Jesus got in trouble for this all the time. Why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why are you in their house? Jesus understood that association never taints you. But association does not also equal justification. Jesus, time and time again, ate with sinners and tax collectors and still told them to repent of sin. So Peter is just following Jesus' example. But by doing this, he's breaking all human-made Jewish rules. And that's what the vision's getting at. It's not about the octopus versus the rabbit versus... It's about this. (laughs) As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Now, again, we got to keep slowing down the scandal of each one of these verses. Rome at this point, they are the rulers of the known world. They've basically conquered the known world. They say they have civilized the known world. They call themselves the light of the world. I don't know if you know that. Caesar Augustus called him the son of God and the prince of peace. And Rome gave peace to the world. And since they had won, they thought their gods had won. And the chief goddess that they celebrated in victory is Victoria. So this man of power, this occupier, this enemy kneels before Peter. Peter makes him get up. Stand up, I'm only a man myself. I only work for the guy. Don't worship me. Peter shows us the danger of extremes. I don't know if I wrote this years ago or someone else did, but but this is it. Never treat a human being like a dog or God. Never treat a human being like a dog or God. This is about God and God's work. It's not about visions, it's not about angels, it's not about hatred, it's not about rights, it's not about occupiers. It's about the gospel. Well, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with you non-Jews or even visit them. There it is. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, Now, Peter speaks and begins to sweep away like generations of racial and religious prejudice just out of one thing. Jesus he says, I, I now realize that how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter now realizes that it, God is willing to accept anyone of any race or any background. God is no respecter of persons. That, that does not mean, by the way, God just meets us as we are, and God is love, and it's undefined, and we get to live life any way we want. No, no, no. This means anyone can come home through Jesus. God is going to lift up people from all different families and backgrounds. There's no favorites. As one pastor preached, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In other words, let me put it another way. It's not what you do or where you come from. It's who you trust and who you know that makes the difference. And this, of course, brings the whole, of course, Old Testament into clarity because Israel was elected by God, not because they were better or smarter or more religious. God just did it. And one of the reasons why he chose Israel, so they would be a light to the world. It says in Isaiah 42.6, I, the Lord, called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for Gentiles, for non-Jews. So now Peter's fulfilling something spoken 740 years earlier. And he begins just to outline to this non-Jewish audience what what God did through Jesus. Uh, You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Uh, Salvation, peace, absence of strife between God and people comes in the lifetime and through the life of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, King of the Jews, and also the world. And notice, he says that Jesus is Lord of all. Again, the scandal of this. Caesar is called Lord no Peter says no no in the middle of Roman culture in the in a in the middle of the centerpiece of power in an officer's house he says Jesus is Lord which is treason by the way he keeps going you know what has happened through Judea uh, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached that's John the Baptist How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Jesus healed and delivered the blind, the deaf, those unable to speak, those who were bleeding, those gripped with death and the demonic, all signs that the kingdom of God was breaking in against the kingdom of darkness. You've all heard these stories. Jesus is that famous. And then he says in verse 39, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then, of course, he says they killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. Though Peter and thousands of others uh, saw and heard what Jesus did, it didn't stop him from being killed. And Peter says, well, we were there. Uh, Jesus was crucified. He says, looking at a guy who's involved in a system that has now basically crucified thousands of people in this area by this point. Crucifixion is only for non-Jews, non-Roman citizens, And for those that were citizens, but were convicted of treason. Peter's not done. He says, but but God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. This again gets back to the importance of the physical resurrection of Jesus. This is proof that everything that Jesus taught and claimed is true because he came back. If Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, then his healings and his miracles and everything he said, like he had the ability to forgive, probably is now suspect at best. He's nothing more than, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, but he's definitely not Lord. But if he did rise from the dead, well, he probably is who he claimed. That's why Paul would later say, if Christ has not been raised in 1 Corinthians 15, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Well, Peter keeps going with his Christian sermon in this Roman centurion's house. Jesus was not seen by all people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I mean, I just love this. He's not a ghost. This is not some hallucination. We didn't all take shrooms. He, it, it, we didn't mix up the graves. We know him. We sat with him. We ate with him. We hugged him. He's no ghost, not hallucination. He's physically risen from the dead. We are witnesses, hundreds of us, experienced this and then he said he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed judge of the living and the dead just let that sink in all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name there it is again God's new work is never new we're just catching up to what he's already been doing as one wrote the gospel that Peter preached was the good news but it was not new news. It was good news which the prophets in the Old Testament foretold. The ideal no longer lies beyond us. The ideal has lived and His name is Jesus from Nazareth. So Peter says to Cornelius and his family members and friends and other soldiers and even the slaves in that house, if you believe on Jesus and believe God rose Him from the dead and trust in His work, you'll be forgiven too. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit lightened on all who heard the message. Peter is preaching an impassionate message, maybe emotion and power and excitement. And suddenly God interrupts the sermon and gives the Holy Spirit in the exact way he did on Pentecost with Jewish people. And in the exact way that Peter and John, working with the Holy Spirit, did with the Samaritans. Just so you catch this, if you've done this series with us, there are three Pentecosts, not one. There's one for Jews, one for Samaritans, and one for non-Jews. Why does God do these three unique moments in history? This is showing the pattern to the world that Jews... Samaritans, which are half Jewish and half not, and non-Jews, all three ethnic groups are one family because they have one father that's found fully in Jesus and now share one spirit. Well, (laughs) verse 45, the Jewish believers, verse 45, who had come with Peter were astonished, cannot, cannot, cannot compute, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on non-Jews, let me add, even centurions, occupiers, for, what? It's like a French person watching a Nazi officer be baptized in the Spirit and convert to Jesus. Are you joking me? They had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? And they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay for a few more days. And of course they're baptized because baptism, as we talked about and saw a few weeks ago, is like a wedding ring. It's the outward symbol of the inward work. It doesn't make you a Christian, it declares you are a Christian. It symbolizes Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uncomfortable, unexpected. So, two simple questions, or maybe three. One, are you Cornelius? I mean, are you Cornelius? Are you trying, but you're not in? And you don't understand, If if you belong to another faith, If you're Christian-esque-ish, sort of, if you're spiritual, if you're agnostic, if you're atheist, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, are you Cornelius? You're trying, but you cannot. Here is what Jesus says to you. Here's what God's word says to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in Jesus will not die, but be given eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever, Jew, Samaritan, Roman centurion, tax collector, sinner, righteous scholar, fill in the blank, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What do you do with Jesus? He is life, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he has power over death, the demonic, and sin. He has the ability to forgive sins and give eternal life and he can reconcile blood enemies and make them family. This is what is offered to you in this moment, in this Advent season. This is why he was born. Just say yes to him, humble yourself. For us who are Christians listening to this, and I've said this many times since 2017, we in the Canadian context, have moved from a Christendom moment, everyone's a Christian, to sort of a falling apart moment, to a post-Christian culture, to now a re-paganizing moment. Things are getting darker, more violent, more divisive, more pagan. And the tendency for us is to pull back from those who are not part of the family. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Unless, of course, you struggle with a sin that others are doing and you can't handle. Other than that, don't do it. You know, when Twitter came out, there was this interesting thing that happened in the early days where people were tweeting out quotes that were brilliant or insightful, but then they were like, but I don't agree with what everything this person says. So they used to have a phrase, "Retweet." RT does not mean endorsement. So it's the same here. Being in great relationship with people who are not followers of Jesus does not mean you endorse everything they believe, do. Association does not equal justification. But pulling away from people is not the answer. We still call sin, sin, but that doesn't tell us to run and fortress and monastery ourselves and run away from people and call all that out there. If Peter could go to an occupier's home who had been involved, his system been involved in the torture and execution of his fellow people, then we can do it too. Listen to what happened with Jesus in Luke 5. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors, those who betray our country to the Romans and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, let me just do this. I encourage you, hang out more and more, not less and less, with those who are not of our faith. Go to barbecues. Hang out. Have rest. Like, be in real relationship. RT does not Retweeting does not mean endorsement, but you've got to be present. You can't be salt and light just here. And you still get to call sin, sin. Jesus never compromises on that, but man, He loves being with people in unexpected and uncomfortable places. Last thought, uh, Christmas is upon us. Now maybe you're watching this years later and it's not Christmas time for you. But for us at this moment, it is the Advent season and we're diving in and we know that even in this post-Christian moment, tens of thousands, well, hundreds of millions, billions of people will think about Jesus in the next four or five weeks. So let me just ask this question. Are you in the middle of all the busyness and the boredom and the Christmas stuff and the the endless social media feed? Are you saying to the Lord, who are you asking me to speak to? Are you even posturing yourself to listen like Peter and just say, Lord, do you want me to go to Caesarea? Do you want me to go to Cornelius? Do you want me to go to someone that I think is unclean, unjust, and dirty, but you're calling clean? I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would actually do that genuinely for us. So I'm going to pray like this as we end this section of Acts and this sermon. Number one, thanks, Jesus, that you sent that vision to Peter, because the vast majority of us listening today who are not Jewish by background uh, have salvation because you sent that vision. Thank you. There are people listening right now who don't know you. They're like Cornelius or Cornelius' friends or other soldiers. I'm just going to ask, uh, Jesus, just like you sent that angel and like burst into Cornelius' life, we're asking right now, burst into their life and show them who you are. A Lord, uh, some of us have um, become too insular, too judgy. Too protectionistic. Lord, forgive us and help us to move out again when it's uncomfortable. And lastly, here's what I was praying even before I uh, recorded this. I just pray now, right across Sanctus Church and beyond, because so many others listen from other churches and communities. Would there be like literally hundreds of vision moments where, <laughs> you know, the the thing comes down from heaven? And the Lord says, I want you to do this thing. Would you very specifically lead individuals in our church, but individuals to who and where and what they're supposed to do next for the sake of the kingdom? And would you supernaturally, supernaturally superintend it so it would have eternal impact? Lord, do this unexpected, uncomfortable thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Sanctus Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when other episodes releases. I hope you were encouraged by what you heard today. God bless and have a great week.